Well, good morning. It is good. Boy, do you see a theme in our services this morning? That was, that was some wonderful worship music, focusing upon our Savior, our God, our Creator. Because isn't worship about Him? And I hope that your hearts are filled and ready to receive the message this morning. It's a new year, just kind of wondering how your New Year's resolutions are going. It's day seven, anybody quit yet? You know, most, most people this time of year, they begin to reflect where they are in several areas of their life, and one of the biggest areas it seems like people focus on is their health, their fitness, right? You know, new year, I'm going to get fit, you know, I'm going to start eating right, and I'm going to start working out. About day seven, day eight, it's all done, right? It, it, but we start thinking about those things. Health is important to us. And I thought about this series several months ago, and I titled it Balance. Because as much as we focus on our, our health as individuals, I wanted to focus on the idea of how that we can have a healthy church. How that from the scriptures that, that what God has put in place that we can have balance in several areas, then we could be the healthiest church because our purpose is to glorify Him by loving God loving others, and reaching the world. So balance. Our text this morning, and for the next five weeks, is going to come from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And I want you to, to, to consider these verses with me this morning, because I'm only going to pick out through the, through the next five weeks certain phrases that give us components of what comprises a healthy church. But let's set the context for the moment. This was written after the ascension of Jesus Christ. He, he died, he was buried, he rose again, he stayed on the earth for 40 days. And then he left and went to his Father in heaven. Then the church there in Jerusalem replaced Judas with Matthias as an apostle. And then they gathered in the temple area and Peter began to preach and tell people about Jesus and who he was and how he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. As a result of that, many believed and about 3,000 people were baptized and added to the church that day. Could you imagine? That would be a revival. Lynn, if 3,000 people, I don't think we can hold 3,000 people in here, but if 3,000 people came and received Christ and wanted to follow them in baptism and serve Him, that would set our church on fire for sure. But it's what happened after that that I think is also equally Amazing. 
Notice what is written. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and every wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now notice this. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Within these verses are five elements I'm going to be talking about in the next five weeks. And they're going to focus on church health. Paul told the Corinthians, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. I don't know about you, I, as I get older, I concern more about my health today than I ever did before. You know, in my 20s, it was like, hey, you only live once, right? YOLO. I just did things, ate things, did crazy things, not thinking about the, the, the consequences in the future. You know, my, my knees hurt. I've had back surgery. You know, I, I might be a little round. But health is important. You know, you start, you start seeing your children, now have grandchildren. I want to be able to live long and spend time with my grandchildren and, you know, be able to still play with them while they're on their floor. And now my grandsons are like, they're massive. And they might be six and five years old, but they are chunks of a human being that's hard to lift, but I still want to play with them. So I, I need to make sure that my physical health is, is, is going to be pretty good so I can have many, many years enjoying the time with my family and grandchildren. And, by the way, that I can have longevity in ministry. So health is important, but what about the health of a church? We're referred to as a body. Paul talked about in this passage that, you know, the, the, the church at Corinth, there, there's many members of part of that body. You know, there's eyes and ears and, 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 and feet and hands, and all of them are important. And there, there's parts of the body that seem insignificant, but without them, we wouldn't be able to be healthy and function properly. So Paul even focuses on church health. And I think the, 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 the passage in Acts gives us kind of five balanced components for a healthy church. It speaks about worship, praising God. It speaks about discipleship. It speaks about fellowship. It speaks about service. And it speaks about evangelism. I had to look at that, make sure I spelt it right, evangelism. But all of these are important, but they need to be balanced. For example, have you seen a really, I mean, a church that is known for evangelism? I mean, they are reaching people 
I mean, they're out. They're, they're out in their community. People are coming to know the Lord. Praise God. You know, they, they might even, if they were filling out reports, they had hundreds and hundreds of saved a year, but there's still just 50 people. Why? There's something lacking. They could be a great evangelist at church, but maybe they're not discipling correctly. And so as soon as people come in, they're leaving just as fast. Or how about you might see a great dynamic church that worships. Oh, the worship's great. People come, they hear the music, and you know the, the, the speaker speaks, and, and things are wonderful. But then people start complaining because they're not making any real connection in fellowship. Relationships are not being built. See, I think God has the idea that we would be balanced in all of these areas. That we would worship God with all our hearts. That we would begin to, you know, disciple. That that's not just teaching to learn, but, 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 but we together, we come together and we begin to walk as Jesus walks. We become more like him. And in fellowship, that we, we, we come together in our relationships and we, 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 we come closer together, not just friends and family, but as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we begin to serve one another and we go out into the world and we tell people the hope of the gospel. These are the components of a healthy church. And they need to be balanced. And so today I want to focus on worship on worship. And I want to look at just a, a, a brief discussion that Jesus had with the woman at the well. That is a phenomenal encounter of Jesus with this woman. And within Jesus' discussion, telling her that he is the living water and that she needs him to have eternal life, Within these verses are, is discussed the subject of worship. Look what her question was to Jesus and his reply. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Well, duh, he just told you everything about your life. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Now notice what he said to her. I who speak to you am he. Amen. Am he. And so out of these, these verses, I want us to ask some questions. First of all, what is worship? What is worship? 
Many of us probably have an idea or ideas about worship. Some of you think worship might be limited just to the music that we hear. Um, maybe people uh, consider worship, um, you know, some ceremonial act in doing something. Um, so we might have different, differing opinions, but let's, let's allow the Scriptures to give us an idea of what worship truly is. And so I want you to look at the meaning of worship. The first word that we come across about worship, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And understand that the word worship here has a, an original language meaning behind it. And there are several words in Hebrew and Greek that describe worship. I'm just going to share a couple with you in the New Testament. Our word is this word, proskuneo. It's Greek. It means to prostrate oneself, to bow oneself. You, you might sometimes find me sometimes when I'm shaking a hand of a woman. Um, I'm, I'm the type that I... I I'm not just a, a hugger unless someone wants to hug, unless I know they're a hugger. I usually just extend a hand, but I don't shake, I usually do not shake a woman's hand like a man. No, I, I'm more, I don't know if it, it's because my wife has like had me in, just to indulge her in, in, in watching period movies like Pride and Prejudice or Downton, Downton Abbey, or is it Downtown Abbey? Downton Abbey. Um, but, or it was the army, I don't know. But, but I, have, I have a way, you know, I, 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 need, I, need a, I need help. Kara, could you come help me? Could you, just for a brief moment, I don't want to embarrass you, but can I shake your hand? Just, just briefly. You have to understand, Kara hates me. And I'm trying to earn points because Kara is a, is a Kansas City Chief fan, and I'm a Raider fan. But, but I, I love her. So, so normally, like, so I'll shake a woman's hand like this, right? And I have a tendency to do this <laughs> because I honor her, and I love her. Thank you, Kara. So... The idea, then, is, is to literally, to, to, in a sense, to bow. To bow. And then there's latreia, which is the idea of, of, of more the activity, a, a form of a, of a religious duty, a priestly service. Like, you know, the, in the Old Testament, we see them, the priests going into the tabernacle, and they're keeping the, the showbread on the table of showbread. They're, they're lighting, keeping the lamps lit. They're, they're making sure they're, they're applying the incense to the altar of incense and so forth. That's kind of religious duty or activity we find. So these words are kind of, kind of described for us in the New Testament a little bit about worship. But what's fascinating is the old English word for worship, which was called worthship. Worth. That's, what, that's where our word worship derived from. And notice what the psalmist says. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. 
So I want you to think about this. Worship, whether it's bowing, whether it's serving the Lord, has more to do with ascribing the value of the object being worshipped. You're saying God is worthy. So worship is the expression of acknowledging the supreme worth and worthiness of God. Whether we fill this room with songs of praise, whether we hear the message from God, whether we give, whether we pray, we are acknowledging that God has supreme worth and He is the object in the center of all our worship and all our praise. It's not the pastor, it's not the staff, it's not the deacons, it's not even you. It's God in whom we worship, and I'll get more to that in just a minute, but that is what worship is. We're acknowledging that He is worthy, and He has supreme worth, and we recognize that. And so, she had a question, well, what about the worship of our fathers, and what about, you know, the, the way they say the Jews worship? Because then it became, where do we worship? Where is the proper place to worship? And let me just say, when Jesus gives his answer, worship is not restricted to location. Notice, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place to where people ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. In other words, he's saying, look, we're not going to be restricted to location. According to the law, men were required to come to the temple three times a year during the major feast days. People came, and that's where they offered their sacrifices. That was the place of worship. When the kingdom divided, you had the northern and the southern kingdom, and there was the Samaritans. Uh, we can go back through its history, but they wanted to be different than that of, uh, you know, of Judah. They established uh, Mount Gerizim as the place of, of worship. And so for this long history and this animosity towards one another, there was this discussion and this dispute, where should, is the proper place to worship? And Jesus says, look, you're, you're worrying about too many things because there's a time coming when all of that won't matter. I hope you understand it's that time he's speaking about is when he gives and offers himself as an as a, as a offering on the cross for our salvation. It's not going to matter the place. And so the Jews worshiped in Jerusalem the temple. Samaritans worshiped at Mount Gerizim. But Jesus said, a time is coming. Well, what does that look like now in worship? Well, we find in the New Testament, man, they worshiped in the temple. They went from house to house. They went to a numerous amount of places to acknowledge the supreme worth of God. Worship can then be done privately. Tell me all of you haven't turned on the, mus on your, the music in your car and you're going down the street and that song just hits you and you start worshiping, you start praising God at that moment and you missed your exit, right? Maybe it's your quiet time at home. And you're sitting there and you're morning reading and you're reading and that verse just pricks your heart and you just stop and you pray, God, thank you. Isn't that worship? 
So worship can be done privately. Worship can be done corporately like we're doing here together this morning. We've come to gather to worship. And God's people are to gather together and worship Him. And so we have songs that we sing. We, we try to schedule our services where we can center on Christ. That He will be the focus of our worship. And really, worship can be done whenever and wherever. I mean, what would happen if a tornado came and took away our building? Does that mean we just stop worshiping? Hey, there was a church building that was taken out in March. That church had to find another place. But I tell you what, if we had to go to the park, if we had to go to some other, we can still worship. We're not limited to this building. It's not about location. It's about the gathering of God's people, acknowledging Him. Him. So that brings us who do we worship? Well, it's obvious. It's me. No, it's God. I just want to see if you're awake. Please, if you're asleep and heard that, don't leave here saying, we got to worship the pastor. Please don't. That is not right. But who do we worship? Well, Jesus, he kind of said, you know, people do worship in ignorance. He says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. You know, I, I really do think that there's people that, that they, they, get, they get together, they think to themselves, you know, I'm going to come and I'm going to worship, but, but they're there for all the wrong reasons. Maybe it's not necessarily the person, but I think it was, it was Ralph, I always get that, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Wal, Ralph Emerson Waldo, which is it? Ralph Waldo Emerson. I'm going I'm to paraphrase him, but he wrote that we all worship something. But we have to be careful because what we worship, we become. Some people worship a building. Some people worship a preference. Some people worship a whole lot of things, except whom we are supposed to be worshiping and that is Jesus. Because I want you to consider who Jesus is. I just picked five top things off my head. And there's a lot of other ones that we could attribute to Jesus. But I want you to think about these top five. That he is the Messiah. I mean, he's the Christ. He is the anointed one. Messiah, Christ, same thing. Messiah, Hebrew, Christ in New Testament means the anointed one. He is the one that was prophesied through Scripture that would come to save us. It's Jesus. He's the Savior. Your good works can't save you. Your tithe can't save you. Your church membership can't save you. You helping the old lady across the road won't save you. Do you know what saves you? Repentance and faith. Turning away from your sins and placing trust in the only one who can. That's Jesus. And he's the only one. He's creator of the universe. 
He's created all things. He's all-powerful. And He holds all things together. And He's created you. And He's created me. He is the Lamb. He's the perfect sacrifice. He's the only one that could die for our sins for us to have forgiveness and eternal life. He's it. He's our shepherd. Oh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The Lord is our shepherd. And though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will not fear for he is with us. His rod and his staff, he comforts us. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus is the good shepherd. And he tends to the sheep very, very well. And we can go on and on and, and talk about all the things, that, the titles, the words, the names, the offices of who Jesus is, but, but time will not allow us. But my point is, is that the object of our worship is Jesus for all of these reasons and much, much more. We're to have a Christ-centered worship. We must acknowledge who it is we worship. Remember, worship is the expression of acknowledging the supreme worth and worthiness of God, and Jesus is worthy. Isn't he? He's worthy. So then how do we worship? How do we worship? Jesus said that the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. So let's look at this. We're to worship God in spirit and in truth. What does this mean? Well, in spirit is based upon that God is spirit. God is a spiritual being. And you realize that when we are saved, we are indwelt with the Spirit of God. We are spiritual beings made alive in Him. And so worship is in spirit involves the inner man, the heart, the soul, the mind. And worshiping in spirit is opposed to the legalistic or ceremonial form of worship. In other words, we, we, we think sometimes by doing certain things or you know, it, it gives us some better standing with God. We can't get any more better standing with God than accepting Him as our Savior. Yes, we can follow Him in obedience, but, but, but I mean, we're going to get all the salvation we're ever going to get the moment we trust Him. <clears throat> so there's so many religions in the world that are ceremonial will do this and this and this and this and this and this and you'll be in right standing with God. No, we worship God in spirit. Yes, we give. 
Yes, we attend church. Those are things falling out of obedience with God. Yes. But it's not to maintain our salvation. Worship has to do with the inner man and not the ceremonial form of worship. And in truth, that God is a God of truth, God's Word is truth, and we worship according to God's truth and not our preferences. You know, because there's sometimes, I mean, it's not so bad since we moved to, to Arkansas. I can catch most NFL games by our worship schedule. I'm so glad that we worship at 10 a.m. But I tell you what, in California, at 10 a.m., do you know what? The games are starting, and I'm missing the game, right? And uh, boy, I tell you what, uh, my preference would be to start sooner so I can catch the game because I have my priorities right. Let's, let's think about preferences. I know there, uh, maybe, maybe I shouldn't discuss this, but I'm going to anyway. You know, for years, years, music has been a controversy over the years of, of, of what is the right music to worship it, what is wrong with worship music. Some people like the old hymnals. I love a lot of the old hymnals, right? One of my favorite hymns is by Thomas Dorsey, Take My Hand, Lord, Lead Me Home. Anybody know that song? Did you know that that was controversial back when it was submitted. Do you know why? One, he was African-American who played a trumpet in bars. That was the controversy. Why? That was, that's, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It's a man of God who loved the Lord, who wrote a song that, that has transformed the lives and hearts of people over the years. Lord, take my hand. Lord, lead me home. Right? But it's controversial. Did you know that Amazing Grace was also controversial based upon the one who wrote it? We don't think about those things. So when we really look at the, you know, if we want to worship according to the truth, you know what the most important thing to God is? is it's not the style, it's the message. The message of the song. And it's clearly sung. And it edifies and builds up. He says that in Ephesians and in Colossians. He uses, in fact, different terms, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. But yet, sometimes we get distracted over our preferences. And there are a number of things, like, you know, the color of carpet. We don't have any carpet. But you see what I'm saying? Sometimes we can get so distracted by the, the frivolous things that it takes us off what we ought to be doing. And aligning our worship with what God has said that gives Him honor and glory. Because there is a goal in worship. There is a goal in worship, and this is it. 
to encourage people to daily declare the supreme worth of God in every place, whether in private, with family, or in public settings, through singing, praying, giving, and living for God's glory. That's the goal of worship. Worship is to impact our lives. Worship is to do a work within us that we attribute to God that he is worthy and give all honor to him. That in essence, in our life and in our singing and in our giving and whatever we do, we are bowing down, acknowledging his worth. God is worthy. Amen. And we're to keep that in balance with the four remaining components. Worship is important. Worship is vital. In fact, if a visitor comes to our church, more likely he's going to come first to a worship service than he would a potluck. But there's discipleship, there's fellowship, there's service, and there's evangelism. And all of them must be kept in balance. But we do worship a God who is worthy. So I want to ask you this morning, if you'll stand with me, And perhaps, as we consider the message this morning, that maybe God has, maybe has been speaking to you in this message. Maybe the first question we should ask ourselves is, why do we come to worship? Even though we may not clearly say this, I think sometimes we as people come to worship to make us look good. Maybe sometimes we sit in a worship service and we begin to look around and see if everybody's worshiping correctly. And I, loved, I do love to watch people worship, but not to correct them. They inspire me. I love to watch people sing to God when that is their only focus. It's just, it's just amazing to me. But why do you come to worship? Is it because of Jesus? It should be. He loves you. And as an expression of our love to Him, we acknowledge His supreme worth. For He is worthy. We sing songs attributing to him salvation and holiness and righteousness and justice, and the list can go on. But maybe you're here this morning and maybe your heart needs to change. Maybe your motivation in worship is just all wrong. But this is what I love about our God. He can change our heart. 
He can change our motivation. Worship isn't about us. It's about Him. Maybe sometimes we come with wrong attitudes. God has a way of fixing our attitudes. I know many of us, especially young families, you know, you're trying to get ready for church and you get your son and daughter in the perfect outfit and they just decide to stomp in mud and on the way and there's some frustration along the way and there might be some crying and screaming in the car and, you know, dad's yelling, mom's crying, this whole car's a mess and you walk through the door and you're like, we're here. We're to be spiritual now. No, you're just real and life happens but we're here for God to do a work in our heart and our lives. And so times of an invitation like we have right now is a time to respond to the message. And I want to ask you, who are you worshiping? Why do you come to worship? And I pray that you'll leave here. It's because of Him. It's because of the one who saved you. It's because of Jesus. But if you're here this morning not knowing Jesus, I would love to talk to you about him. I would love to talk to you about how he loved you. He died for you. He was raised again to save you. And he just is calling you to call on him to say, Lord, save me. Will you do that this morning? Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you know the Lord. But God has been working on your heart. Maybe you've been visiting with us, in fact, for some time. And, but God's put on your heart that you want to follow Him in baptism, which is really kind of that first step of obedience, identifying with Him in baptism, committing that, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to walk in your steps. Maybe you'd like to make that known this morning. Maybe God has brought you here this morning that you'd like to be a part of Faith Baptist Church. Can I just tell you, we're not a perfect church. The people might be perfect, but the pastor kind of stinks at times. I make mistakes. I'm not perfect by any means, so the church won't be perfect. If I don't shake your hand, it's not because I'm intentionally not to. It's just because I have about a thousand things going through my mind. It just happens, right? We're just not, we're not perfect. Sometimes, sometimes we're just like siblings. You know, and we might, you know, you know, Karen hates me like she does, and, you know, she doesn't really. I, I shouldn't say that about, but, you know, sometimes we, you know, but, but in the end, it's about Jesus. And if you want to be a part of a church that's about Jesus, I think we have a good one here. And I pray that you'd want to become, be a part of faith. Baptist Church. So whether you want to come forward or you want to meet me in the lobby, I'd be glad to speak with you about these things. But I pray that as we, we, we pray, we're going to have some announcements that when we leave here today, that you can say, man, it's been good to be in the house of God because He is worthy. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and grace. I thank you for each one that is here. Father, may we always keep you in the forefront of our worship. May you be in the center of our worship. May our worship always be about you. But that's not all who we are. That's a great part of who we are. But we are a church that just doesn't worship, but we disciple. We fellowship together, building relationships, 
Father, we serve one another. We, we take the gospel out beyond these walls into our communities and out in the world. And Father, help us to be a healthy church. And to do that, we must put you in your proper place. First, you are to have the primacy of our love, our attention, of our life. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.